This is Anthony, and welcome back to the Hustle Podcast. I'm sorry that I haven't released uh, many of these in a while. I kind of took three or four months off to focus on being a father. Natalie and I had a baby, but I got a bunch of really cool things lined up. Thanks for uh, thanks for tuning back in. Today I'm here with a good friend of mine. He's got a last name that's hard to spell like mine. He's someone that I don't get to see very often. His name is Joel Buechelman, and he's a super badass. Joel is a senior interaction designer at Google, where he works on Chrome. Formerly, he was head of design at Design Inc., who was formerly a sponsor of the Hustle podcast. Thank you very much, Joel. And also previously, Netflix and several other places. He was previously on the Hustle podcast way back in 2015 on episode 21 with Ted Boda, which is called Just Show Me the Damn Thing. Make sure you check that one out. For those of you that don't know too much about Joel, he's got a really popular YouTube channel, which you should definitely check out, and a popular vlog where he talks about his career pretty openly, interviews really cool and inspiring people, and shares a lot of knowledge with the design community. Joel, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy-ass schedule to come do this with me. Glad to be here, man. It's a pleasure <laughs> as always. All right. Why don't you take a moment to just give your own little introduction of yourself from, from your words and maybe give the listeners a little bit of insight of what you've been doing. Yeah, I'm a Southern California boy. I uh, grew up all over Southern California and have stayed here. I'm currently working out of the Google Venice office, uh, work on Chrome desktop on that UX team. The Chrome UX team is about 20-ish, 30-ish people. I mean, there's a Chrome OS-like extension of our team as well, but um, most of them reside in San Francisco. We're a global team in Munich, Paris, London, and LA, San Francisco, Mountain View. So I'm <laughs> at any given time anywhere in California, um, hopefully, um, traveling a lot because we have our distributed team. So been there the last two years almost. Uh, before that was at a startup at Design Inc., like you mentioned, and then Netflix. Before then, it was a matter of me stumbling through a career in print design and in startups um, as like the iPhone and mobile apps and the responsive web was, you know, the hot topic at the time. But yeah, I'm a dad. I've got three kids. I spend a lot of time thinking about everything outside of design, whether that's fathering or budgeting or becoming a healthier person. I think that I'm in this weird space mentally. We've talked about that offline as well. We can jump into that in this. Um, but yeah, I'm a dad. I'm a designer. I'm in California doing the hustle. A lot of the stuff we're going to talk about and everyone should definitely subscribe to his YouTube channel. And there's some really interesting and interesting things that Joel talks about. I mean, especially the stuff that goes outside of being designer, which I hope we can unpack today. Before we get really into all of that, I'm curious, like how does how does someone like you that has a very busy job at a very big company with very important deadlines manage to do all of that, travel, be a good husband, be a good father to three freaking kids, <laughs> and make all the time to write Medium articles and record blog, uh, vlogs and all of that? Like, how do, you, how do you do all of that? Yeah, I think, so I, for a while I had a podcast called The Balance, and I was like hot on balance when I first got into this space of like making content in the context of design. And I have like this like deconstructed pessimistic point of view on balance now, which is kind of funny coming full circle. But um, I think it's really just this constant evaluation of priority and like something's going to have to compromise here. Like there isn't enough time for everything. And so what am I going to make a priority and make time for? And in the past, most of that has been like pursuing work you know, yeah. kicking ass, taking names, getting things done to get the next job or to get on the next project. Often a lot of that was hustling and making content and creating podcasts or doing tutorials or making templates like that. That was what the most of my like last 10 years in the career has been focused on. I think now I'm starting to, I'm not doing less of that. Like I still want to make videos and I'm still doing other things that, you know, are growing me as a designer, as a creative, but those things, what I would normally wake up at four o'clock in the morning to do, I'm now waking up at four o'clock in the morning to go run. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I am posting less on YouTube and I'm okay with that. And I don't even think it, this like comes from burnout. I think it comes from like a change in priority of the things that I'm trying to change in my life. Like I've got yeah. my career in a, in a healthy, like developed pattern at this point, you know, like I'm not trying to figure things out and not that it's in cruise control, but it's definitely in a more consistent spot, specifically being at Google and not like doing freelance or a startup where like I can say, hey, look, I, the the only way I can be a better designer now is if like I'm healthier and more awake and more on point. And a lot of that comes to like discipline and prioritizing other things than work. 
Yeah. And so I think I'm still learning how to do that. Right. But I think often I sacrifice like my own personal health or my own personal peace or some like calm or margin in life in order to do all the things. And I think that only lasts so long or becomes like satisfying for so long. Cause I think it's a hustle and it's fun until you, it's not fun. And then you resent it. Then, it, then you burn out. Right. Hustle is great when you're in it. Yeah, man, there's so much to unpack there. And I can yeah. definitely relate to that. Like I mentioned earlier, before we started recording, I've been in this game for 20 years, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. I don't know. And yeah, I've, I, I've been married for, you know, almost a decade of that, but pretty much my entire life that I can remember has been focused on one thing. How can I be a successful designer? And then maybe in recent years, how can I build a successful studio and take care of these people that work for me? And then, yeah. you know, I having a, you know, having a baby came in was real. Like I probably should have realized this years ago, having a baby can't come into the picture, like really gave me a reality check. I realized that I had maybe spent too much of my time thinking about me and the things that I'm interested in doing work related and maybe even more too much time on my people at work who I love right. versus like investing in my relationship with my wife. And, and now like, you know, being a father, I used to like try to find every moment I can to like write emails. And now it's like, I'm, I'm learning that, oh man, if I find time to, if I find time to play with my son, that's going to be so much more rewarding. And to your point, like coming back and being a better person to the people that rely on me at work. But then there's like this other thing that you mentioned, which is like priorities. Oh, that's a big one too. Someone that I work with, like drew me this uh, diagram of like, a, of like an upwards hill and then a valley. And she mm-hmm. said, look, it's not always binary, but sometimes you have to be willing to say, you have to decide what you're going to say yes to and what you're going to say no to. And there's no way you can keep saying yes to everything and do it all really well and not burn out. And so I don't know about you or, or what kind of tools you use to make those decisions, but I'm, I'm learning too, you know, like, and I, uh, in the, the, the self-help thing, I'm there with you too. I hope we could talk about all this. Like I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I, I don't take care of myself at all. I don't exercise. Sometimes I forget to brush my teeth. Like, you know, like I'm Dude, just it's t- really terrible. hard. Like, and, and it's not, that's not specific to design. Like becoming a parent will make you have to prioritize things, right? Like <laughs> me being able to take a shit without a kid knocking on the door is a day in heaven for me. Right. Like that. And that's, <laughs> That's something I don't expect like parent people that aren't parents to have to understand that. Right. But it's a different level of like privacy and like self-sacrifice. And, but I, I think like you can be equally that committed and that distracted by work. Right. And so this isn't like a parent, non-parent thing coming out of a startup and like working your ass off for so many months, like without any really focus outside of making that thing work is a really good contrast to like see a more structured life, like having a regular job or working for a company, like go, go that contrast of working for a startup and then going back to Google felt easy almost like, Oh, okay, I can manage this. Right. But even with that, there's so much chaos in the fact that like, I'm in many different offices. My wife runs a full-time business with like six contractors. We've got three kids. Wow. And so there's just a lot going on. I think one of the one of the biggest things that of why we can do this is because we have like a ton of support as well. Like we have a lot of family and friends and at any given time there's someone watching our kids and picking them up. Like there is a big compromise and a big effort there that like my wife bears most of that burden. And we understand that like the the alternative for that is for me to live in one of the offices where Chrome is more, you know, dominantly out of, which isn't in the books for us now. So like we've been able to like make those trade-offs. Well, I think the thing that I'm starting to understand is that like every, every hour spent on designing isn't beneficial and the big, and this is like through like tons of therapy and like me doing a lot of like self-discovery, but I always found like time that I spent on me as being even like, like if not selfish, like at least a a waste of time in the sense that like I could, if I'm going to wake up early, I'm going to go get more hours in on this, or I'm going to stay up late and crunch on this so that I could, you know, get ahead or whatever. And, and now I'm trying to like wake up early to like take care of myself or do something that I want to do. And it's still harder for me to do that. And I think I have a lot of like thoughts on why I think that way. Part of it's just wanting to make things. And I think that's why it's harder for like creatives. Okay. So maybe, maybe unpack that. Like, why is that hard? And to what do you actually do to invest in yourself? Yeah. So I think this might be like a little soft and emotional for like a practical design podcast, but I think this is like, you know, we're emotional. We're supposed to be emotive and design with empathy and, and understand these things. So I think self-awareness is a topic I'm very interested in specifically as it relates to design. But I think that like there, there's this, 
insecurity that I know that I've dealt with most of my life being on the kind of the, the edges of culture, whether that's like in music or being a person of faith or just not fitting in, right? Like always being on the edges, growing up in band camp, right? <laughs> Becoming a designer <laughs> um, and being in the art department. There's a certain level of insecurity that comes with that. And I think that in any job, whether I'm doing great or bad, have like this low key, like base level of I'm going to get fired tomorrow. Mm. And that's, that's not usually ever true. I know that I'm in good standing and I'm having good, you know, feedback from my, my reports and whatnot, but. So would you say that like even more specifically that it means that you have the, you feel the sense of needing to be an A player all the time? I think so. Like it's, it's that it's partly like imposter syndrome, like thinking that you're going to get found out that someone one day is going to be like, wait, you're not as smart or as good as you are. There's a bunch of like emotions that go into it, but I do think there's this like foundation of like, I have to overachieve or continually make people happy or meet people's expectations because if I don't, then I'm going to fail or not be accepted or loved or whatever. Right. Like they think there's this base level part of that where it's like, I'd rather be uncomfortable or do or not do something I want to do because it's going to keep me safe or keep people in like, a good opinion of me. And that's harder that like, for me, that's, I don't know if I'll ever get over that or if that's just part of what makes me a good person, maybe even right. But there's, there's a certain person that could be like, you know, F you, I'm going to do me. All that matters is me. And they can really be happy and do their, their like what they want for them. I'm going to find that harder for me. And, and, and so when that relates to work, it's like, Oh, I could get this to this person faster. I could get this done. Now I could overachieve and provide extra documentation in the spec. And I'll often do that. And that makes me a good employee that doesn't always make me a healthy person or that makes me a worse dad. Right. Cause I'm tired cause I stayed up the night before mm-hmm. um, and I'm impatient now. And so there's a consequence to any prioritization of anything. I could completely be focused on my family, be the best dad I ever was. And I'm probably not going to do as good as work cause I'm going to miss some meetings or I'm going to yeah. be slower on certain items. Right. So there's a trade off and I think it's just trying yeah. to have a framework of understanding those trade offs and then hopefully creating some sort of pattern of decision-making so that you can have some sort of structure to your priorities. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah. It sounds totally. like <laughs> preaching, but. Well, I mean, I, I mean, first I, I think that like, these kinds of conversations are really important to have. I mean, it's like the whole reason for this show is to talk about, the people that are behind this stuff. And these are very real things that I think a lot of people deal with in any industry, uh, and yeah. especially tech and design where the, you know, the stakes are high and there is a lot of pressure and a lot of competition. I mean, I mean, just from my perspective, I think the the fact that you actually think about both of those makes you in my, in my eyes, like a good person. Like not everyone may, may have the same conclusion because everyone feels different, but the fact that you actually think about bo- the whole scenario makes you at least a very unique person. That you're thinking about that. Cause I think, it's, it's very dangerous to go one way or the other. You could be all work, you could be all me, but there, you know, there's a medium and yeah, like every single decision you make impacts, impacts the other. But the fact that you even think about that, I think is, uh, is what is important. Yeah. I mean, in, in the context of tech, it's fairly unpopular, right? A lot of tech, the narrative and startups and bootstrap is, you know, hustle hard, build, break things fast. And, and I, I agree with that mostly like that's how I, grew my career and learned what I did. But if you look at some of the most successful and like honored people in an industry, a lot of them aren't decent, great at balanced people. Right. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say like Elon Musk and Steve jobs are like people of peace and like great moral judgment. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm just saying they dumped their work into hustle. Um, they neglected their families and, and, and they made a ton of money and changed the world. And I think the, the, longer I get into my career, I care a lot less about changing the world and being known for design or making a lot of money. And that maybe that's a losing mentality from an entrepreneurial standpoint, but the higher up at Google I get and the more responsibility I get, the more millions of people I get to design for, the less I'm satisfied or compelled by that impact. Um, I don't get off on the idea of being a director of a big UX organization. And I think that's fine. I think there's people that do want to do that and that's fine too. But I think I've, I've gone through a lot to under to get to that point of knowing more what I want in my career. I think it's taken me a long time, but I think in my own way, I've accepted it. I'm okay with being a B player. Because Why would you call like, yourself a B player? Well, 
because I have a team that I can rely on to do things like instead of like trying to do everything at, on my A game, like I try to let the a, the people that I trust, like let them run with their game. And like, because I could have my hands all over everything, you know, but the thing that's going to get me out of here at five or five o'clock or whatever is like giving autonomy to someone else. And, and, and maybe, you know, you know, my personal struggle has always been like, should I be actually hands-on versus leading? That's just like a level leadership, right? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I, just, think I, I would just say like you can't be an A level IC managing a project and be A level. You'd be micromanaging, right. right? So I think that's, yeah. I think that's part of the. I've been having a lot of these conversations with my new design manager about like we have all these different terms and there's design is this you know ambiguous concept that many people can participate in. And so like, how do we actually know what we're good at or who we are as designers? And there's a medium article I'm working on with her that is related to some of the the thinking that design does internal or Google does internally about design, but it's some more broader, just like design concepts, but it's like this cool image, this cool visual uh, map where you can define kind of the, the competencies you have. And it's very multifaceted, but all across all the things that we do, right? And it gives you this nice image that I think you can associate, like, these are the things I'm really strong on. These are things I know how to do, but need like improvement on it. And these are other aspects of UX design or our space that like, I don't have much experience with. And I don't feel like we have a common language in our industry to like talk about those things. You say like, I'm a product yeah. designer, I'm a UX designer, all these things. And people right. talk about titles all the time. But I think the reality uh, is, is like, yeah. there's many competencies that exist within our industry. And I think we need a better standard like yeah. engineering has this, right? They have the languages they speak, the things they do, and they can talk about proficiencies and do tests. There's no reason we can't have some sort of standardized framework for that. And and yeah. I'm interested in talking about that conversation externally. So I think it's, I think it's just good because people, as creatives, you need to be self-aware to the things that make you happy and the things that you want to make or the things that you don't want to make. Mm-hmm. That's the key and right Often there. you just get thrown into it. Yeah. You just do all of it, right? And some yeah. parts suck. And I think... That's what I was saying, like self-awareness in our industry, I think is really important to keep crunching on that because I don't think we value that enough. It's like, do you like the visuals or the UX? And it's, it's so much deeper than that. I, I don't know how many listeners know this, but I don't actually design. I mean, the, the, only, the only thing that I did, I mean, I did for 18 years, but the only thing that I really design now are designers. And I love doing it. I, it took me forever yeah. to let go of the, but I, I love doing this. And and, uh, you know, I, I think everyone on there, like that you talk about the hustle, like you have to do really good at this. So you can go up to this level. So you can go up to this level. So you can go up to this level. And usually those decisions are come across with like some concept of title and compensation. But whatever happened to like what we love doing, right? Like how many like how many great designers have you seen turn into like manager, like poor right. managers just because like that's what they thought their resume needed or the, that the industry expected of them or they needed the money. Like whatever happened to the conversation about well, what is it you love doing and how do we optimize for that and give you the most career potential doing that? Like, for example, my wife is a owner of Fun Size. She's a design director, but we're currently like having conversations about, well, should she just be uh, an IC, right? You know, like as an example, I mean, you know, you have to like, I think that designers, I mean, this kind of went on. I didn't expect us to talk about this, but I think designers need to be willing to like really think about that. It, uh, what are you going to say yes to? What are you going to say no to? Absolutely. You know, if you if you're going to say yes to management, you're going to be saying no to design. Is that going to make you happy? You know, like all of those mm-hmm. things, you got to really think about that. I mean, I do think that there are should be opportunities across the spectrum. But. Yeah, and you have to you have to experience them to understand whether you like them or not. And I think that is no. I think that's one of the big unfortunate aspects of being independent or working for a smaller organization or working on your own is that like you don't have the exposure or the opportunity to like dip your toes into different things. Working at a big organization like Google, I can just go, I can just go like stumble upon some artificial or autonomous vehicle research or insert myself and be a part of it if I want to learn more about it. Right. Like that's just at my fingertips. I can volunteer and do like a global immersion trip to understand emerging market cell phone usage. Right. Like those are things that we do that like are, I can see like, Hey, I wonder what it'd be like to, you know, be an expert in localization. I can go down that path. And so I think that that's one of the things I'm very fortunate of is I've been able to understand myself more as a designer. Cause I've had, I've been able to touch operating systems and, you know, mobile HIC work and analytics and big data 
and now like open web desktop software. So like, I think experience is one. I think the second thing is that I don't, I see a big gap in designers being able to explain why they can continue doing IC work and providing more impact. Um, I think that's a very delicate thing is like at at a certain level, you can only have so much impact as an IC. And I think there is room for very senior staff, you know, director level IC that could have a ton of impact. I don't think there's many people in our industry that are that senior that are still doing IC work that can explain why that position should exist um, and why they wouldn't be just as useful under a manager, right. As a regular IC. Um, and there are people like this. There are like some like very special teams at Google that are very senior ICs that work on very high exposure, high, you know, impact projects that don't have reports, but those people are very senior have built many products and have a very articulate way of explaining the things they do and the impact they have on a product. Um, and I think there's a gap between like an IC and a very senior person that doesn't want to do management. And I think part of the reason that gap exists is because we designers have a hard time explaining our value beyond a certain point as an IC, um, yeah. something I'm still trying to figure out as well. You know, it's also interesting too. like, I mean, just you, for example, because if you look at the rest of our industry, that they're so obsessed with titles, right? You know, if you look at Joel's LinkedIn profile or the website, you know, you're, you label yourself as an interaction designer. Why did you call it, why do you call yourself an interaction designer versus product designer? Just curious. It's just what we use internally at Google. The, the two tracks we have at Google are interaction and visual. And then we have UX engineers, which is more of a, like a prototyping, like oh, web UX person. Okay. Yeah, I, I just, I just, I was just wondering if that's how you see yourself as a designer. Yeah, no more, more broadly in the industry, I think I, I would identify as a product designer, or a software designer. I, I, I prefer like I've always been very specific in the sense like I used to always call myself a mobile designer, specifically because I, I hate designing websites. <laughs> I've never been good at designing websites. I didn't really, I like kind of dabbled in building WordPress sites for people. Always hated responsive web like not i liked the system part of responsive web but actually building marketing sites like i've never enjoyed and so i I specifically like product design and designing product experiences um specifically usually in a native or like non-web app context i like the constraint of it i like the systematic parts of it Uh, but yeah product designer i do a lot of motion i do i'm doing honestly more storytelling and strategic stuff now i do production ux and ui work but Chrome is a fairly small UX organization for as big as a product as it is. And so it's been fun to be able to ha- be a part of some bigger meetings and work on some larger strategic and like um, hypothetical work. Uh, and, and I really enjoy that space a lot. All right, let's switch gears and talk about that a little bit. So uh, you were a part of the team that was working on the the big Google Chrome 10 year anniversary redesign, yeah. the, the big refresh. And Listeners can read, can learn more about that on Joel's blog, episode 81. But why don't you talk about that a little bit? Like, what was that, what was that experience like working on something that was like a big, I mean, Chrome is a big part of people's lives, but, you know, in in a lot of different spaces and 10, you know, like the refresh is pretty big. Like, uh, I mean, what do you want to share about that? Go go as high level or as deep as you want. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting for me because I had only been on the team for about eight months when we started questioning what we wanted to do. Like we knew that we were having a 10 year anniversary. Chrome traditionally ships on a six week schedule. So we're always launching new versions of the software, but this was the 10 year anniversary. And there's like this long history of birthday cakes, ship browser cakes. I think they call them where like Firefox and Chrome send each other cakes on their big releases to kind of celebrate in this, like, you know, growing the web in general as an open platform. Does anyone send a cake to Microsoft? Uh, you know, I think they've been involved actually as well. Cause we're obviously up in Seattle and Kirkland, but there is this, like the browser, I think there's a lot of employees that have worked at many different browser companies, but there's this, like, we're making the web a better place and a healthier place. And so there's a camaraderie there, even though we're competing. And so we, like, we knew that like 10 was going to be a big birthday thing. And at the time GM two was being defined, um, that like this next version and expression of material internally. And so there, they were equally like sharing that spec and talking about kind of the opinion of that updated and and evolving design system. And so being one of the main, you know, um, softwares of Google, we were thinking like, how much of this do we adapt to? How much of this affects our current design system thinking? Um, Can we actually do this by our deadline? And And from what I understand from like typical 
like cycles and planning for Chrome. This was like a very expedited and very ambitious goal. And so it was very fun to be a part of it. I was one of the main designers on the desktop side, the two spaces that I mainly focus on currently today and worked on for the 10th anniversary was the Omnibox, we call it, which is the main search and URL box. And then the new tab page, which is obviously the page when you create a new tab. Probably the most visited page in a browser, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very unique kind of space and has evolved over the years. You know, we're always thinking of, of what its next purpose should be. We added some simple personalization features to that. And then there's the overall visual UI design, which was kind of the main task of like, let's just update the UI. The browser shape changed, um, which is a very big deal. That was a big part of our brand. Um, so we had to negotiate a lot of what that would look like. Most of the interaction of the browser stayed the same. We had proposed, there were some flags and some early articles of things that we were experimenting with that we didn't pull the trigger on. So it's it's really interesting to design for because a lot of the visual stuff was somewhat obvious in the sense that we had some guidance from material in the branding teams, but it is such a productivity tool in the sense that many people get their job done in the browser and we are somewhat yep. an invisible frame. And so as soon as you make yourself visible again by change or by doing something different, there's a huge risk there. Um, there's an opportunity also to make something better, but in any change version, obviously there's risk. And so Everything was done with a lot of consideration. I love the new browser. Like I, I've looked at old mocks of old browser. Anytime I see the old browser, it surprises me how old it feels now. But yeah, I mean, designing a browser uh, and like producing assets and reviewing builds for stuff that is this like global, uh, I think is probably the biggest release I've done. Um, Any idea like, of how many people use Chrome? Yeah, not that I can publicly release. I mean, there's probably a okay. public number out there. It's a lot, a lot. Yeah, I'll just give you the the, per, right. the appropriate answer. How many users does? I mean, then it's like global and then mobile versus desktop. There's different numbers. How many users does Chrome have? Yeah, so publicly on VentureBeat, one billion users. So a lot of people. I uh, I can't remember who I was talking to. I think it might have been Michael Buzzard. Do you know you, Mike Buzzard? Yeah, I know Buzzwell. Uh, he was in Austin a while back, and I was like, what is going on with, like, this Google rounded corner shit? Because this was before GM2. Sure, uh, so you saw, he's like, like, on assistant and everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was like, don't you worry. You'll <laughs> figure it out really soon. Now, I have to admit, like, I think all of the, the new Google stuff is just amazing and so really well executed. Chrome is awesome, too. Yeah, it's got to be awesome to work on things like that with... I mean, I mean, I know that you said earlier that you you're sharing your impact, like your opinions about how you think about yourself as a designer at a company that has that kind of impact. But yeah, it's a, it, it is kind of, kind of crazy to think that, that we can make that kind of impact. I, I don't know. Like that seems, yeah. that does seem like a lot of pressure though. I mean, I would just say it's totally yin and yang because like there's in one respect, like I am making decisions that affect, you know, a billion people. And there's this weight of like, I need, I need to get this right. But then the, the, if that's the yin, the yang of that is like, yeah, but if we get it wrong, we'll figure it out and then just change it. Right. right. So there, there's that. And yep. then there's this also, oh, like I'm the designer at Chrome. You know, I was getting mentioned on Twitter. I was like, good job, Joel, which is I'm one, one small part of this very big machine. Um, and so there's, there's this like, oh, I'm in charge of this and it's my responsibility. There's also the reality that like I could be gone tomorrow and it's all going to be fine. Someone else is going to make that decision. Right. So it's, Entirely important, but then in the same breath, entirely non-existent, right? So like everything matters, but also like this is just a blip in time. So I think that's understanding both of those creates some balance, right? Did did you get uh did you get hate tweets? Uh there's a couple people that were like, please don't do this, <laughs> da, da 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 da. Which I mean, everyone's gonna hate something. I think that uh. The biggest thing is like, I, I'm so ingrained in material. Like I have a, a, men, a mentee that I'm mentoring right now internally. And like, she was asking about some of the eight, eight point base grid system and some of the general spacing, like st strategies within material. And I was like, oh yeah, just this, this, this. And was realizing how, like how ingrained and how like blind I am that like material is just like how I design. I just design material now my personal style is very googly just because I've been designing that way for so long. And that's like a bias that I've been acknowledging. Like when I work on side stuff, like trying to get out of that aesthetic, but I think it's a system that scales and, and I've been, I just moved back to iOS and like living in the Apple ecosystem again for a while. 
And, and there is something to like the density of, of Mac products that is nice. Obviously a lot of material is optimized for all, all devices and all screens. So it is more touchable and, and more physical. And, and I'm used to that. And I, I believe in that theology or that, that like philosophy for, for UI, but it is, it is like, I, I talked to Nick Slogan a lot who works at Apple and we always go back and forth on Apple and Google. And I think it's fun. I think there's, there's two competing movements that are equally um, useful and intriguing and opinionated. And I think it's, I think it's a fun conversation that will be ever present. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so I want to touch on something trying to get caught up in your world. I was listening to some of your recent vlogs just to get prepared for this conversation. And yeah, you mentioned something in the most recent one about it was, I don't know if this is a direct quote, but in, in my notes, it says like something about chasing a career and then you get to, you get to where you think that you think you need to be. And then you realize like, what the fuck, like what's, what's next? Like what's the meaning behind that? Like, is that something that you're going through? Like, or is that like some, uh, something you've just been thinking about? Like, what do you, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I I think there's, I mean, if there's anyone that has, has followed my Instagram or YouTube stuff, like the last two years have been a very transformative time in my life in many ways, more than one, a lot of shit happened in my life in the last two years. Um, One of those was like career stuff uh, coming out of the startup and coming back to Google. Yeah. And a lot of that was, okay, now, now I'm a senior interaction designer at Google. The next thing is to become a staff designer at Google. And then that's like, that's it, right? There's, or there's like staff designer two or something. Like there's this like very high level. And so I, I got to the point where it's like, okay, I've done this. And now, like now what? Do I want to do management? Am I content just doing this? Am I content being a designer at Google forever? And I, I think the answer is no. But I, I found myself in like a, a, a meeting with a new manager and she was like, what, like, what do you want next? Like, what's next for your career? And I was like, I don't know, like, I'm good, right? Which scares me. The idea of like not having something to chase for is a scary thing. And I think I've, I've been slowly learning that like the next thing isn't career oriented, right? Like the next thing is me. And I, I talked about that in, in the video, but. Uh, okay, I, yeah. so here's what it is. It's like, it, it, like, tell me if I'm saying this right. Like in this this thought that you have, the, the, the work Joel Buchanan is persistent, but what becomes evolved is the you, Joel Buchanan. I think so. Yeah, I think the, the next growth is me, not so much me, the creative. And I think me, the creative will benefit by me, the not, the uh, everything else gets better. I think I'll become a better creative. I saw a little clip that, that Dan Petty posted. He's doing that video or that video series, whatever he's working on. Um, and there was a clip of him with Matt D. Smith and Matt's like yes. fit as hell and running and working out every morning. And he was saying that like, if my body's healthy and my mind is clear, then like, I'm going to design better. And he's saying like, like it's important to set that example yes. for his kids. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's something that I'm, I'm tr- I've never worked out. I've never been an active person. I've always loved camping and snowboarding and being outside and, and like I've, I've been going to therapy for the last year and my therapist was like, no, Joel, I don't think you're depressed. I just think you're tired. She's like, what, what, like what gives you energy? What makes you excited? I was like, I like going outside. She's like, do that. Like, don't skip a meal and go outside and sleep and see how you feel. And so it's like those, those things of like taking care of myself that I've been trying to, to learn more about, um, and things that I've neglected and not made a priority because design was the only thing I cared about. All right. So like, who are you as a person then? Like, what, what is, what are you into? Like when you're not working if, or if you, you know, and you're doing something else, we all talk about design stuff all the time. And you know, yes. you talk about this stuff. We all define ourselves by our titles, but like, who are you as a person? Like, what what are your other interests? Like, what are the what are the things that other things that really are important? So, to you? For, formally, like the most other important thing in my life is jacuzzis. Um, jacuzzis. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Actually, you were at. So I have I have a low key second Instagram account called Jacuzzi Joel, and it actually started at Montus. Um, in Tahoe at Epic Currents. I must have um, missed that. Moment. No, I was I was a couple bourbons in and everyone was downstairs like networking and talking about design. And I came down in my Epic shirt with a robe on. I was like, we're going to the jacuzzi. And there was this big jacuzzi party. And Charlie Waite was like, jacuzzi Joel coming out strong. And ever since then, I've always <laughs> been big on like, I, I pick my hotels. I always travel with the trunks. Like I'm a big like lover of steam baths and saunas and jacuzzis. So oh, I'm a sauna guy. Yes. So this is a, a this guy. is a big joke yeah. of saying like, I love 
like warm waters and I, like I'll kill a spot any day. Um, you have, do you have a jacuzzi at your house? Uh, we're, we're remodeling our back this year. That's one, of, right. one of our plans. Yeah. So that <laughs> is part of like the treat yourself. Like every night have a little jacuzzi soak before bed, but in, in all, like in all reality, I, I do love to like, um, disconnect and relax. I used to never do that. Like my wife taught me how to enjoy sitting by a pool in, in reality. Like I, I think my favorite thing to do in the world is snowboarding. Like I love being outside. I love the mountains, hiking, being, being outside. So that's one of the things I've been trying to do is I, I still don't even love running or exercising. I, I have a really hard time going to a gym, but one of the things that I've been doing is like waking up early, driving to the beach, which is only like four miles for me, running to the pier and back and then jumping in the ocean. And like something as simple as that, like that's not necessarily a hobby, but that gives me some sort of like, this is for me. This is something that's, that's specifically only to like, bring joy to me and make me a healthier, better person. As far as like things I care about and like doing, obviously I like spending time with my family. I, I truly do love traveling, which sounds like a BS, like dating site thing to say. But like if, if I did have free time, it's like, let's just go, let's go, you know, let's go fly to Mexico. Let's go, let's go to Canada, whatever. Outside of that, like I, you know, if I had a free day, I'd see like what bands are playing. I'd go to a show. You know, like it's, it's, it's all still very related to my life. It's just things that I don't normally get to do because, you know, my kid's pissing the bed at five in the morning or I've got to stay home because my wife is in Palm Springs on a wedding. You know, it's not that I've lost my identity. It's that like yeah. often when you're devoting yourself to a career and a family, you kind of lose your identity. Like I've been watching that F is for family. Have you ever seen that show? It's, that um, show is awesome. Yeah. Man. What's his name? Young's um, ATC, uh, God, what's his name? The comedian, the bald redhead oh. guy, um, Bill Burr. Bill Burr. Bill Burr. Burr. Yes, yeah. it's, it's yeah. yes. No, but there's like this sad, like reflective cultural narrative in that show about like this dilapidated dad who's lost his identity, hates his job, is annoyed by his wife, and has screwed up kids. Right, and like there's like this dystopian, like very sad, like dark humor to that show. But I do think it's very easy, and this this is like given the tone of our culture, it's a very bad time to talk about like how sad for the poor white man that's married with a, you know, privileged white house to say like, so sad for him that like he's lost his identity. Cause obviously there, there's a, there's a ton of privilege in that statement, but I do think there is this level of like just a personal identity and, and hope that people have to have. And I think it's very easy to focus yeah. on a lot of other things and to lose that regardless of who you are and what you're into. I mean, uh, I understand what you're saying about the yeah. sort of privilege thing, but every child grows up with a, a hope and dream about what they want to be. And it's no, like, I mean, okay, sure, it happens, but very few kids are, like, saying, I want to design software. Right. Right. They're saying, like, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a fireman, like, something like that. I want to be a, you know, like, whatever. Like, uh, they're dreaming, right? And. You know, it's, it's, you know, no one, no one would ever say like, uh, I want to do this like very particular meticulous thing. We find our ways to these, into these paths and then, and then it starts to find us. But there's often these other parts of us that we never got to explore. Like, for example, I always wanted to be an archaeologist. If I'm not designing work, I mean, I'm not, well, I don't design. If I'm not working, I'm usually at home, like reading about archaeology. I've thought about going back to college to study archaeology. Which is rad. If, if you were to go back to college, and if, like if you were just erase who you are right now, well, maybe oh, I don't know if that's important to erase, but like if you if you had the opportunity to go back to university and pick a major and a minor, what would you do? Yeah, I I think about this actually pretty a lot. Like I I always wonder because I didn't plan on being a designer. I was I was going to do music. I was going to be a drummer. I was going to be a studio session drummer with a band and like just do that or be a professional like drum and core drum and bugle core player. So I always thought that like, what would it look like to go to like legit, you know, music school, get my degree. How good of a drummer could have I been? I think about that a lot about like going back to school for music or learning music outside of that, man. I don't know. Like I think I'm, I'm pretty well suited for the design career. Like there, there's, there's little interest of other things I'd want to do professionally that, would be like legit jobs. Like I yeah. fantasize all the time about like living in the mountains and being a snowboard instructor in this, in the winter and a, like a rafting guide in the summer. I fantasize about that all the time. <laughs> right. Oh, like sorry. That's, I don't mean to that's laugh. What I, that's I, what I'd rather do. Uh, 
Yeah, no, but like that's that is like that's the old soul that I am. Like before I like fell in love and like started a family, my plan was to like graduate college, move to Boulder and teach and snowboard. Like that was those are my ambitions. So like I, I I'm very much like a, a a black sheep in the way, even in tech, in the sense that like I I'm not that much of a nerd. Like I I grew up playing some video games. Like I I don't like World of Warcraft. Like I don't like coding. I don't. I don't resonate with a lot of like what tech and nerd and, and, and like the entrepreneurial startup crew, like deem as like cultural things that they care about. I'm, I'm somewhat of a, a hippie in a way. And, uh, and so, yeah, when I think about other careers, other things, it's less like what other profession would I want? It's like, what if I wasn't a professional? I think that's more compelling to me of like, yeah. I could live off the grid. Like I've spent hours of like YouTube watching on bushcraft. Like I'm nerding out on living in the woods with a hatchet and some paracord. You you could uh, you could design jacuzzis, dude. I mean, I do follow a couple of jacuzzi Instagrams, but that's another story. <laughs> it's another podcast for another day. Do you think that the places that you and I live in are similar? Right, like we're we're in yeah. smaller cities that are far further away from the big mecca of tech craziness, and we both are actually kind of doing the same thing too. Like we're both in smaller markets working in the Bay area, basically like, right. Right. Do you think that has uh, an impact on the earlier conversation about this feeling like they're, they're not gonna, that that cultural mindset isn't going to align with your cultural mindset and, and, um, or do you think that that really hasn't been an issue at all? I haven't seen the cultural bit be different. I, I don't think that's like perceived that way of like Joel's not a part of this. And I think that has less to do really even with where I live I think there's this natural like creative in me and this natural like person that enjoys everything outside that is opposite of what I'm doing right now. Right. Like it's non digital. It's not in an office. That is the other person that I am and that like I want to be. And that's what I'm trying. I'm trying to be healthier and like, like nod to that side of me of like just jumping in the ocean, like the wild and the, the, um, excitement in that. I do think that like being remote and outside of the, bustle of Silicon Valley, there's gotta be disadvantages, right? Like I, I had the opportunity to lead the Netflix mobile team or to be one of the main leads on that team, which probably would have became me being manager of that team when it was like two of us. Right. And I didn't take that job when I went to Google and moved to Irvine. So like, did that affect my career? Probably, you know, Dantley Davis is a VP at Facebook right now. And I was working with him who knows where in my career I would have been if I would have stayed at Netflix and rode that originals train to where it was, you know, a year ago. But I like, I don't, I've never given that thought of like, did I make a mistake? So yeah, the, the reasons in the, that's, I think that was like the, where I first started prioritizing my career differently was like, I could stay up here. I could have joined, you know, nest and been a part of the nest exit with Ted. I could have joined Instagram. I could have done lots of things. And this isn't like bragging. This is just like when you work at a big company, you get to know everyone and everyone's glad to work with you. And so when I, when I was making decisions with my wife of where I wanted to go next, it was strictly related around like how much my mom was going to know my kids before she dies. That's why I moved to Irvine. Cause I was like, she's got, you know, yeah. who knows 10, 20 years, but like the, you know, my kids were zero, uh, one and three at the time or something like that. And so I was like, you know, before my kids are, in junior high, my, they could hypothetically not know my mom if I don't move. Right. And the fact that I could work for Google and live closer to my parents and my in-laws and let them have like thriving relationships when they're young with their grandparents and also make my Google salary and travel on Google's dollar. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. You know? And it's, it's not common. Like I had to work my ass off and convince the VP that it was a good idea. And, you know, I had to do it like under review for three months to make sure the relationship worked and you know, there's a cost to it, but from for, for me, it for sure is the best, like having my cake and eating it too. Uh, I can relate to that as well. I mean, I, we moved from New York city to Austin for those same reasons. Like we, you know, we want to be close. We, we wanted to optimize for family interaction, you know, and that was just what was important mm-hmm. to us. Did you feel like and they gave just, you a competitive edge? Like when you were moving from LA to Austin and then like having a New York pace and perspective, did that give you like an advantage in like uh, the Atlanta market? Do you think? Okay. Uh, I'll try to answer this as honestly and humbly as I can. 
Yes, it did. Um, it gave it gave me it gave us clout when we came here. For sure. Uh, be- but even because, in work uh, ethic, like people just bust their ass in New York, right? Yeah. Well, okay. Th- that's a, okay. I'll try to I'll try to unpack both of those. On on the one hand, like we we felt like big fish in a small pond because you know I'd always worked for small studios, but like the really sure. popular ones. And right, and right, Natalie right. Um, Natalie was was designing for mobile devices like back during D pad days, right? Like. She was an expert, right? Like she worked on some of the most earliest native stuff, like for big brands. Yeah, like really. And we were coming into this smaller, smaller market, and so people that was helpful to us to, you know, to establish our place here and why uh, why other designers should follow us and create this business and why people should hire us and also how we could get our cake and eat it too, like how we could attract Barry clients to Mm -hmm. hire us. And trust us knowing that we are optimizing for lifestyle, you know, because the people that want to work at fun size ask questions about like, well, how much time am I going to have to ride my bike versus like, what is my, what is my accelerated career path project trajectory here or something like that? You know, it it did kind of help in in the long run. Has it really, did it really make that big of a difference? I don't think so. It probably helped us establish our roots here and, and get the, the business going and all that. And I think, um, in a lot of ways where we are, we are eating that met- metaphorical cake, you yeah. know, cause I think the, yeah. the people in the Bay area that hire us, which is where most of our business comes from, they know that our priorities are different. Yeah. I do think just even li- like just even working in tech and having like your existence on a computer, there's, there's a certain one, anytime I engage with people that aren't in our industry, even friends that are creative, like photographers, other people, there's this certain level of like, I don't know. Everything is just slower. Like people are something simple as a Slack channel and being a Slack user, there's an immediacy and an efficiency that becomes normal part of your day. And when you engage people that don't have that level of efficiency and like literacy digitally is like, Oh my gosh, like what world are you Um, living in? Like, like, get after it, spin up a doc, send me a reminder, invite, let's go. Yeah, and it's, it was really hard. <laughs> the, the first few months for us were really difficult because yeah. I, mean, I, uh, I've always been at, like before, before I ran fun size, I was a small business owner and freelancer. Most, that was my identity. Like I've always been a, a small time entrepreneur right. and, uh, coming here, I was like, let's get to it. Like, let's get going. Let's like, let's do this shit. And people are always like, oh, when we get to it, you know, like, I don't know, like, I got to go do yoga or whatever. And I'm like, let's talk what? about it. Let's, let's fucking do this. Let's go. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yes, yeah, so that was, that was a little challenging at first, but I think now we've kind of, uh, we, you know, the Austin culture is definitely our pace of life. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I love like having a mix of that. Like I love, there, there is still nothing more exhilarating sometimes than going on a business trip to the Bay area and getting a taste of that high oh, energy. It's the best part. Just jumping in and the, leaving. And then leaving that. Yeah. That's the, yes. yeah, that's it. Absolutely. That's half of it. And I think that's, that's my, that is my, we talk about like making those priorities, like trade-offs and trying to create good habits. Like I essentially have three different types of day. Like I have my, my family day, which is the day that like I wake up, I spend my morning with my kids. I make breakfast I help everyone out the door. I drop the kids off at school with my wife and then I get into the office by between nine and 10. Right. I have the day that I'm in LA, which is like my commuting day. I'm up at four. I'm in the office by five. You know, I leave the office again at like three. So I'm home by five for dinner. Right. So it's a 12 hour day, but three hours is on the road. And then I have my travel days when I'm out at eight in San Francisco by 10. I'm there for you know, four, eight hours and home by 10 the next day. So like, those are like the days that I have structure that work for my family and for the needs for the job. Right. And, and now I'm trying to figure out, okay, so on each of those days, when do I get time for me? What time am I going to set aside so that I can go for a run or that I can meditate or that I can go, you know, get a coffee with a friend. Um, those things all sound very simple and stupid, but like I've never made it a priority to schedule those things in. And so like that's kind of the framework I'm working with and it seems to be working, but it's, you know, it's a process. That's awesome. I really appreciate that you, um, are willing to go outside of your comfort zone and, and share your emotions and your opinions. So honestly with the public that, you know, as you do, I, I think that it's, 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 it's really cool that you do that. 
it's weird. Like, I don't know why I share. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's also, it's, it, and I think the, I've been sharing a lot less just because I have been doing a lot more like introspection. I think the, I think everyone should share more. I think people learn from it. I definitely, I always get weird about it because I don't want it to feel like I'm providing answers or telling people how they should think. I think for me, it's a way of processing thoughts. And in general, I think it's beneficial to, to learn from each other. And I think that's like the part of design Twitter, part of the dribble community, part of our design culture that's changed. And that like everyone did share a lot, like people would live stream and just hang out and work. Things were very open and you know, there's a lot of relationships with people that I know in the industry because of that. And so it feels just natural to do now, even though I think things are obviously a lot different and larger, but it hasn't bitten me in the butt yet. Like I haven't got fired for saying something I shouldn't or being too honest. So I'll keep doing it until I get my hand slapped or it affects me negatively. <laughs> Thanks for what you do. I don't know if you'll be there, but I, I hope to snowboard with you at Epic Currents. Yes. I mean, if you're going to be there. I'm not going to this last one, uh, okay. uh, and, okay. but it sounds like they're keeping it going under a different frame. So hopefully we'll end up on, on the hill sometime together. Well, it's not uh, snowboarding, but uh, maybe you'll join us for method for one of our method things coming up this year. Uh, if you stay on the phone after we hang up, I'll tell you about yeah. it. And then um, sneak peek. Yeah. All right. Uh, Joel, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to stop by. Thanks everyone for listening to the hustle podcast. Joel, how can people connect with you? Um, I mean, I'm kind of everywhere. As, as Anthony said, my last name is Buchelman, which I took the vowels out of, which is B K L M N. And I'm at that almost everywhere underscore Buchelman, um, on Twitter. If you just go to BKL.MN, you can find everything. Connect with Joel. Check out his shit. Thanks for having me, man. Keep listening to the Hustle Podcast, and we'll see you later. Yeah. Hustle is brought to you by FunSize, a digital service and product design agency that works with inspiring teams to uncover opportunities, evolve popular products, bring new businesses to market, and prepare for the future. Learn more at FunSize.co. I'm Dina, a product designer at Fun Size. Thanks for listening. Bye.